Hey everybody, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Christy Ellis. I really can't think of anywhere I'd rather be with you beautiful people. I'd really like to wish you all a happy anniversary, a happy Saturday, a happy life. It's just great to be alive. Uh, my sobriety date's April 12, 1988. Uh, I have a sponsor. I call the sponsor a tour guide. I've always had a tour guide. And I have a home group called the Awakenings Group, and we're celebrating 13 years tomorrow. So, um, and we're an open speaker meeting. Meet at um, 9.30 on Sunday mornings. And so it was really great to hear the group history. I really believe in their history. Uh, but we need to keep that, you know. And it was really beautiful to hear about another three legacy group, because my home group's a three legacy group as well. A uh, girl and I and some others uh, started that group, and it's just been a joy to be a part of it and to watch it grow up. And we're near a place called The Healing Place, which uh, is a place in Richmond where folks go to get sober. And, um, and they, many of them joined our home group, and they have become alternate GSR and corrections and all kinds of things. It's just been an absolute joy. And that's just one of the many, many, many things we get to see in Alcoholics Anonymous when we get here and we get sober and we get to live this life. And I use the word get a lot because we, I get to do everything I do. I think we all do. You know, I should be dead based on the way my life was. And my gratitude will never end. It's been great to see some folks that I've known, have known for many years. And it's always great to reconnect. It's almost like it was just yesterday. And just to hear the love and feel the beauty. And, I, and what's really special for me, the most special thing is not this, but meeting uh, great grand sponsees I didn't even, had never met. Because one of my girls came along, and I met, and then I know her girl, and I say my girls like I'm a madam or something. I'm sorry for that, but it's like, you know, like when I say that, because we were laughing about that, saying because my sponsor's like over 70, and I'm almost 67, and, and we'll still be like, hey girl, hey girl, you know, and it's like, you know, it's just a good life, you know, and but what, how special is that? And then to reconnect with some friends and then to make new friends. And we're already friends anyway. We know 75% about each other before we even meet each other, you know. And then we get to know just friends I haven't met yet, don't know your name yet. But so what? You know, you're my friend. And we're on this path of out of a hell I never thought I'd get out of. And that's what the steps were for me when I got sober. Um, I will, I do believe in identification in Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that, you know, if I don't talk about the way I was before, you're not going to give a daggone about how great my life is now. You're going to be going like, so what if your life's great? Well, we need to identify, you know, the drunken me needs to see the drunken you. And that's what I heard when I got here. Didn't know it was the language of the heart. Just heard somebody describing how I was feeling inside and I didn't know their name. And that struck me. I was like, whoa, oh my God. You know, and it brought tears to my eyes because I'd never heard anybody put into words the way I've been feeling for so long. But uh, I do have a job here. And the truth of the matter is the way I feel about speaking or anything I do in Alcoholics Anonymous is that it's just my turn. So it's my turn tonight to talk, and next anniversary will be somebody else's turn, and it's no different than all the service positions that we do. That's why I love our rotation. That's no different than anything we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, is that we just take turns doing stuff here. It's a level playing field. Everybody gets to do it. If you're willing to do the deal, man, you get to do it, and the sky's the limit. You know, I'm the only one that limits me. God is limitless, but I will limit me in a heartbeat. And that's why I need to be with you, no matter how long I'm sober, and stay in the middle of this deal. Um, I am from Richmond, Virginia. I'm actually in a county called Chesterfield. I grew up in a uh, Bon Air, 
And uh, I was born to two parents, very young. They were 19 and 20. It was the mid-50s. Well, 57 is when I was born. They got married out of high school, like many people did, and they had me a year later. And then I have uh, three brothers. One's three years younger, one's nine, and one's 12 years younger. I'm the only girl. I paved the way for those guys. And what, I tell you, when they, got, when they were older, I said, y'all need to thank me for how easy mom and dad were on y'all because I was the one that just paved the way. <laughs> but anyway, I had a really great childhood. I, you know, I, I'm really grateful to those folks. They, as you hear in my story, I'm one of those folks that was blessed with a lot of support when I was dying of a disease called alcoholism. And, um, <clears throat> but my first 12 years, I mean, I was a Girl Scout, a brownie, played the piano. I was afforded every opportunity you could possibly want. And I just had a lot of love and a lot of, you know, things given to me and just, a, you know, it was a great household. And the reason I say that is, so what? Alcoholism doesn't discriminate, because a lot of times, so many times, we can think, oh, if I only had that, or looked like this, or did that, then I'd be okay. And I, you know, and I did think that. I always, I always wanted stuff I didn't have. You know, the biggest thing with me was I wanted to be first, be best, and have the most. And so I always say, first, best, most. And that plagued me. You know, because I had these yardsticks that I measured myself constantly with you, and, and those yardsticks can reappear any time. And so by the time I was 12, 13, we moved in a new neighborhood, and that was 1970, I turned uh, 13, fell in love with rock and roll, the guys, the clothes, the everything, the peace, love, dove, and all that stuff that was going on. And, uh, and my parents watched me just totally do a 180. I mean, they were like, what is happening to our child? But I tell you what, I hit the ground running, and I just loved it. And I'm a seeker by nature. I'm also a fantasy girl. I love magical thinking. I love to pretend. You know, so I'd read books and pretend stuff's happening to me. You know, was, that was one of my first outlets was reading. I always had a lot of people around me growing up. I wasn't, I did feel a disconnect, and I didn't really notice it until I was a teenager, but it was always like a disconnect between me and me, me and you, and me and God. I didn't know what that angst was. I didn't, you know, of course, I learned about it when I got sober. Thank God for the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that helped me learn about me, you know, and helped me, you know, remove everything that was blocking me from my creator. But so I, when I took my, I smoked first. I started smoking in the girls' bathroom, as many of us do, and we would sit in front of the bathroom mirror, blowing smoke rings and French inhaling, because we got to look good when we smoke. And, uh, we can, uh, and so that's what we do, and we had a smoking area. We could smoke at school. My mom signed smoking permit. I, mean, I see some heads wagging, so we're in the same age group, the baby boomers, yes. And uh, anyway, we got to smoke at school, and uh, mom thought I, if she signed it, that meant I wouldn't smoke other places. Of course, we know that's not true, but that was her great attempt at that. But anyway, that's, I, you know, I wanted to hang around with everybody, so I hung out in the smoking area, and I hung out with the people that did sports, and I hung out with everybody because I had this huge fear of not being invited and not being included. You know, and a lot of times, I tell you, the alcoholic mind is big because I would be included, be so worried about being included that I didn't realize I was already included. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, I'm always thinking, 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 and worrying, 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 and I'm not even being present in what I'm doing in my life. When I was 14, I took my first drink. Um, this was when it was kind of, it was a lot safer back then. I know that might sound crazy, but partying was just so different. It was just safer, you know, and we could walk up to somewhere and ask somebody to buy us alcohol. And my friend said, hey, you want to go up there and buy, get some alcohol? I said, sure. You know, I like anything that makes me feel different. Prior to that, 
you know, it's, I know girls may remember, I don't think guys did this, but we had pajama parties and we'd do feigning. We'd feign each other, hyperventilating, which is not really very safe, but we would do that because we liked the way it made us feel. And I can remember in fourth grade, my cousin telling me, if you put an aspirin in a Coke, it'll make you feel different. So I did, you know, because I wanted to feel different, you know, and I don't even hesitate when someone says, gonna take, make you feel different. I'm like, oh, cool, give me five. But it's like, you know, but so that was my way of thinking, you know, just that more thing. So when I was 14, we went up there and she, I always do the disclaimer. This was my Boone's Farm and only Boone's Farm story. But she picked out Boone's Farm and I said, sure. And we drank it and uh, her dad found out about it. I can't even remember that part, but I didn't dance on tables. I didn't pass out. I didn't do anything crazy, but I got to tell you, it set off something inside of me more. I want more, man. I grew up in a house where they did drink. You know, I, I grew up in a home, but I didn't pay attention to that. I was too interested in myself. You know, they were social drinkers, and my parents would have, you know, the Tom Collins and all that stuff. And, and they had lots of, you know, alcohol around, but I never thought about it. You know, I was more interested about me. So I had that drink, and then my whole mission was, let me find all the people that are doing this because I like this, and I want to do it again. And the thing is, it went from zero to 60 from the get-go. I drank for the effect from the immediate get-go. I, I wanted to feel that way. I liked the way it made me feel. I drank as often as I could. You know, we, I would skip school. We would do all kinds of crazy things. And some of my teenage years, you know, were basically filled with me chasing that. And, and guys, I got to say, this is not about y'all. This is about me, totally. I thought men, boys in the booze were the solution. I just did. I thought that was the elixir, and if I had that, I'm going to be okay. And what it was is the God-shaped hole. I'm trying to fill everything in my life with everything but accessing the power, which I learned about when I got sober. And so I'm hanging around with everybody. I'm making sure I'm invited everywhere, and I'm chasing that. And when I hit about, I don't know, senior in high school, I decided maybe I did want to go to college. And I was really great at putting my parents in a tailspin, I, you know, it was because I was self-centered. You know, I was only thinking about what I wanted. And they, my parents, God bless them, wonderful people. I mean, they, I, we would have concerts when I was a teenager at the Coliseum, it'd be five bucks to get in. And you could carry one of those big old pocketbooks and put as much alcohol in there, and they never checked it. You know, and I'd see Alice Cooper hang himself on stage. I'd see Doobie Brothers. I'd see, you know, we see all these bands, and you could sit up there, and you could do anything that was passed to you and not worry about dying. You know, it was just, a, it was really a peace, love, love atmosphere, and I love that. I, I'm very idealistic. You know, it's kind of that thing when they would say, I just want to teach the world to sing. You know, I'm just that person that, you know, just wants to kumbaya and let's all peace, love, and let's get along. Why can't we all just get along? And, and I love a cause. Used to sit around the flagpole chanting, did all kinds of craziness, you know. And, and I probably would now too, because I just love a cause. But it was, and they were good causes. But um, it also was about me feeling like I belonged to something, you know. It made me feel like I counted. When I was in the early teens, I was a camp counselor. I did a lot of that kind of stuff. I always wanted to help others, you know. But the further I got into my teenage years, that stuff kind of drifted away. And I didn't realize that until I got sober about how I pushed all that stuff out of my life just because my main focus was partying, drinking, finding the guys, feeling the way was, I was feeling. And so when I did decide to go to college, I picked a college, Radford College. It was based on, it was a party school. It was called college back then. Uh, the guys, first year there in 1975. I lasted a big six months because you need to go to class and get a grade point average to stay. And, uh, but it was the most expensive party I've ever been to. My parents paid, I went on their scholarship. That's what I call it, because my parents paid for me to go. And, uh, but that was when I first started my blackout drinking. That's when I first started 
creating loose ends. And what I, reason, what I call the loose ends are from that time till I got sober when I was 30 were the things that I said I was going to do that I didn't do, the bills I didn't pay, the things I didn't show up for, anything that I was responsible for and didn't do became loose ends in my life. And by the time I got sober, they were eating me alive like piranha. And I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know I hated myself because of that. I didn't know because I had turned into everything I hated, you know, and didn't want to be. And so I came home, and I, my mom and dad ran a real structured household, and I so appreciate that, but I'd had freedom, and I wasn't going to do that. So I moved in with a friend, and we lived together about six weeks. That didn't work, and it was one of those basic stories. I had a, fr- a cousin that I was super close to growing up. My family was a very fellowship family, a lot of cousins, and my mom had a lot of siblings. So we were always getting together, and so she was getting a divorce. And uh, I say this because I, you know, I really was sad for her for about a minute, but I saw a place I could go live. You know, so I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but hey, you don't need him anyway. Come on, we're going to have some fun. You know, no regard for what she's going through. They did say I could drink in here, so I'm not breaking rules. Although, I mean, I've never broken any rules. But anyway, so I moved here with my cousin. It was across town, and which was great by design because that's when my, my um, bar drinking started. You know, and that was when we started doing the, I never called it pregame. I heard younger people that got sober recently call it pregame drinking. I just called it drinking shots before we left, so I wouldn't drink as much. And, um, but I did, I did drink a lot. Anyway, we know that. that. All I did was I got drunk earlier in the evening and did stupid stuff. You know, that stuff of, I don't know, I always like to say this because this was my experience about the opposite sex. So I go in a bar, you scan the bar. Is there anybody here I'm interested in? Nah. But once I start drinking, I do end up going home with one of them that night, you know. And so it's usually, you know, alcohol, really uh, the, the lens was so different. And I always use that as a comparison with the steps. I mean, I've used that with, you know, once I went through the steps, people look different. What I'm attracted to looks different. Just like drinking did that for me, well, the steps will do that for me in a positive way. You know, I won't be attracted to sick anymore. You know, I may not even want to be in a relationship. How about that? It's a novel concept. And um, so that's, you know, my bar drinking was basically like that. And I did it to the point where I wanted to get to know the band because that made me cool and I mattered and, ooh, the guys in the band. You know, and it's like, and to the point where I remember one night, <laughs> Melissa's laughing because she knows the story. Thanks for coming with me, by the way, Melissa, and my lovely husband. Um, so I, we brought a band home one night. You know, and we do these things when we get drunk. I brought a band home, and I passed out. Thank God nothing happened. But the next morning, I'm having to cram all of them in my car with the guitars and everything sticking out the car and take them to their hotel. Now, most people would say, man, i got to stop drinking. I just said, I'm not bringing bands home anymore. That's it. You know, and then I just keep going. And my point of that is, no matter what I did, it was never the alcohol. Alcohol was such an answer for me. You know, I wouldn't even dream of not drinking, you know, so, and I was a blackout drinker. I mean, pretty much most of my drinking when it hit that alcoholic say. So I decided to start thinking, you hear me say I, so that means I'm running my life, and I'm thinking, you know, I need to get married and have some kids. That's the answer. My parents are great examples, but I'm not like them. I don't think about that, you know, but I'm seeing these great examples. So, and everybody's heard this dumb joke, but I always have to say it anyway. What does an alcoholic take on a first date? A U-Haul. But anyway, everybody's like, wah, wah. But, 
I think it's funny because it's true. <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> but um, anyway, so I decided I wanted to get married and have some kids because I thought that was going to make me better. That's going to answer my dreams. See, all I wanted to be was a good mama and be married and have the white picket fence. Even though I was the partier, I still wanted that dream. And I read books a lot about it. And I, I'm such a romantic. And I just would fall in love with these stories and that magical thinking and the pretending and the fantasy. And so I would date a lot of guys, but I wasn't very nice because, you know, I would be excited in the beginning and it was exciting and it's like, almost like a drug, you know, you're so excited and you're looking at, well, we didn't look at phones, we didn't have them, our phones were on the wall. But anyway, you, you wanted, they're going to call, we didn't even have answer machines back then. So we liked the long cord we thought was a really cool thing when that came out, where you could go and have a private conversation in the house. But, uh, <laughs> so... But you know, you feel good and you're exciting and oh my God, you know. And then like three months later, it's like leveled out and you're like, huh, must be the wrong guy. So then you get another one, you know, and it's just that, and it's just such a feelings disease, you know, a feeling, I want to feel good all the time, man. And I want human power to make me feel good. That's why I love the ABCs and how it works. You know, it says no human power can relieve me of alcoholism. You're right, you can't. But I thought it could. I thought it, it would fit right in there and make me better. You know, it, it is not. I'm so, I love that it's written there. So I'm, I'm thinking I've got to do that. So I date a lot of guys and then I meet this guy and I like bad boys. I like the bad boys that, you know, long hair, no job, no car, you know, <laughs> smoking pot, trying to figure out the world, you know, and just, you know, kind of that, you know, and they were very attractive for some reason to me. And, um, but I did uh, meet this one guy that I went to school with. Now, God has always been giving me information my whole life. He's giving me the truth. This is what the deal is, you know, and giving me the facts. But I never paid attention because I had the, the version I wanted. I had this picture image of what I wanted my life to be. So I would, you know, and if it didn't fit, then it was out. You know, just like if friends said, hey, you sure do drink and do crazy stuff, you're out. You just don't want to be happy. You're not a good friend. Wow, how can you say that? And so, but I met this guy that had been kicked out of the school system when I was young, and he was a bad boy. It was appealing. And so I met him, and we became fast drinking buddies, and all of a sudden I was, oh man, this is the guy. He was in the army, and we were running up and down the roads, you know, in his van, and, and just, you know, he's got to go to Germany, and he asked me to marry him in a letter. Oh my God, you hear the romantic thinking I'm doing, I'm like, ooh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to get married, you know, and, uh, and I got a lot of information from people and I wouldn't listen, especially one, his captain, one night when we're getting ready to mail off those invitations, his captain calls me from Germany, this little old girl in Richmond, Virginia. That's a big deal if you think about it, saying I might not want to marry that guy. And I didn't pay attention, of course, uh, because I'm like, you don't know him like I do. You don't know him like I do. So, of course, my parents, and God bless my mom, being the only girl, they wanted, and she grew up poor, wanted to give me this fancy wedding, and they did. They reordered the invitations, and he came home, and we got married, and it was exactly as it should be. I didn't really know him. We were drinking buddies. But we got married, and a year later, I had my daughter, Brooke, and a year later, I had my son, Justin, and two years later, I had my son, Jarrett. So I had three children in five years. I was able to quit drinking and smoking uh, when I got pregnant, but immediately after I would drink, and it was a violent marriage. It was not what I thought it was going to be, and alcohol, man, it saved my life during that time. And at 26 years old, we split up, and my children were four, three, and one. Uh, we had bought a house. We sold it. And, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm good at playing the victim 
you know, and I'm like trying to get him to pay alimony because I need some recovery time, like, I had, like I'd been the perfect wife. But I had, as far as, you know, a lot of that had been going on, but it was just really, I felt like I was living in some TV movie that I'd seen on TV because that's just not what, the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be different. It wasn't supposed to be like that. You know, it wasn't supposed to be all this insanity. You know, but alcoholism is insane. You know, and my parents, God bless them, are supporting me and, and, you know, emotionally. And they're watching their daughter and she's falling apart. And so I move into an apartment and God has been so good to me. He's always put these amazing people around me. I had this person, this family move in beside me there and they became someone, of course. You know, I, I, will, I will see a good resource. It doesn't mean I don't care about the people, but this family moved in and a little girl moved in downstairs. And sometimes I got thirsty and needed to leave the kid, have somebody watch the kids. And so they did. And uh, I remember one night, I'm late, I, I would buy a case of beer every day. I wasn't working at the time. I bought a case of beer every day and I drank it and, and just drank it all day long. And one night my cousin asked me if we wanted to go out and I said, sure. And, and prior to that, I can remember laying in bed going, you know, I think it was just the wrong guy. So I still don't think it's the alcohol. I still think human power is the answer. And it's, you know, so I go and I have a lot of information, but I walk in this bar and of course sick attracts sick. And I think I had written on my forehead, I'll fall for any line. And we got together and I don't know about you, but I go out on relationships. I don't know how to date. You know, we get together and it's like, boop, we're together and, and telling each other everything about everything that we don't need to tell, but that makes us soulmates. <laughs> You know, oh my God, we're soulmates because I've told him everything about me and he's told me, you know, and, and I even tell people, you know, folks I sponsor today, they don't need to know all that stuff. You know, this, we're in recovery now. It's not necessary that people, I mean, my husband doesn't need to know every detail of everything I went through prior to getting sober, you know, but you know, that was the thinking. That was the connector. That was it. You know, we're both suffering together and that's that old idealistic romance that I had so alive in my head. Anyway, I met this guy, and for three and a half years, we went out on a relationship, and um, everything changed, really went down fast. Uh, introduced me to a different world. I'm not going to discuss. I'm just going to say the DEA did not look kindly on it, and, um, but alcohol was literally saving my butt. I lived with my parents four different times, and they took me in. My mom, bless her heart, did not make it easy. She made all of us stay in one room, even though they had a big house. My parents gave me money, they paid my bills, they, they, they were there, you know, and, and I don't know what I would have done otherwise because not everybody has that experience. But I'm dying of a disease called alcoholism and I don't even know it. And I'm watching people drive to work, wondering what that feels like. How does that feel to drive to work and just driving to work? Because I'm hating myself so much and I'm terrified that I'm never going to be able to be that person because all I want to be is a good mama. I take my kids to Toys R Us and I get that, let them buy a $20 toy, not for them to think I'm a great mom, for me for one minute to feel like a great mom. I just hated myself so much. I was a thief. I stole. I lied. I stole from my parents. They gave me money because I didn't use my money like the loose ends that I was creating, constantly creating, constantly creating. And um, I'll take you up to a year before I got sober. You know, I can remember one time, it very profound for me, my parent, my kids, we were, I was sitting in my mom's house in the kitchen, and I'm looking at my beautiful children, and I'm thinking, gosh, I love them so much, and I don't even feel good feelings anymore. And that scared me. I didn't feel any feelings. I was empty. I was nothing there. Because everything that I've been doing had just 
pushed down and robbed me and I hated myself and I wouldn't look you in the eye because I hated myself so much. I'd been in and out a lot of jobs, had a very holy resume, you know, and I would leave because I knew they were going to ask me to leave. And, you know, I used to think, you know, I'd say, I just want them to, you know, appreciate me for doing my job that I'm getting paid for. But really what it was is I wanted to feel like I mattered. Because I don't know about you, I mean, I had all the love in the world and family, but I didn't feel like I mattered. Because alcoholism was such a thief, you know, and I'm drinking against my own will, you know, and I'm sneaking, I'm lying, I'm saying, hey, mom, I'm going to the store, come back three days later. I'm creating all of this in my family. You know, my brother was 17, he wouldn't even eat in the kitchen. He didn't want to be anywhere around me. He's trying to go to school and just live a life. You know, my other brother, brothers are saying, what's going on? Why can't you just stop? Well, gosh, I'm not enjoying this. And I think, I couldn't say anything. And I'm thinking, I can't, I can't stop. You know, I got arrested a couple times, and officers are saying, why are you doing this? And, I, and my only thing was, I don't know. You know, I was just so void of connection with people, and, and I couldn't even really tell you what was going on with me. All I know is that I was sad, and I was scared, and I thought I was going to have to drink the rest of my life or die. I really thought I was. And that, right that last time I lived with my mom, I had gotten this job, my mom and dad, I had I'd gotten this job, and this lady saw a girl, a pretty broken girl, and she gave me a chance. She said, look, I've, I've been where you are. You know, she saw somebody, she said, I want to give you a chance, and they did. And of course, I'm, you know, doing my thing. I show up really good for a little while, then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, they're going, who is this person? This is not the person that showed up, because I'm really good at showing up and th- making you think something. But you give me a little time, and it, you know, I can't keep up the facade because the disease of alcoholism is bigger. You know, I start missing time. I start calling in. I start asking you to borrow money. I start saying I'll be back in a minute, coming back next day. I start, you know, extending lunch hours. I just start doing all the stuff that we do. Well, in this job, I had uh, a few things of clarity that, because this is right before I got sober, and um, some things happened. And one of them was, I can remember one day looking in a mirror and really seeing what I looked like, and I didn't even recognize myself. I probably weighed 100 pounds, and I should weigh 125 to 30 for my height. And I thought I looked good. But, you know, that's that illusion, you know. And, but when I really saw myself, and, it, and I was like, oh. And then the people there were 12-stepping me, and I didn't even know it. They're telling me about their loved ones that had gone to St. John's Hospital and gotten sober. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing that old trying to act cool, like, why are you telling me? But inside, I'm like, wow, that's wow, you know? And, um, and I did, like, I was a big covert mission or something. I went and snuck and called the treatment center, you know, and answered all the, the questions. And, you know, and, I'm, and they said, you know, we got a bed right now. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 you know? It's like that surrender. You always laugh about that in the big book when it talks about, you know, you know, die an alcoholic life or have a spiritual solution. It's like, I want to get sober, but wait a minute. You know, you know, I'm dying, but wait a second. But, you know, but the truth is I was dying, and it, t- and it takes what it takes. It took that. It took the fact that my parents said, you know what, we love you, but you got to go. I can't watch you kill yourself. My dad was crying in the backyard looking at his daughter dying. You know, my parents said, you know, get me out of jail or giving me money for Christmas or paying my rent. You know, doing these many things to help and, and picking up the slack with my children, which I'll be forever grateful because they didn't have to, you know, and I'm in a, another violent relationship and them having to come here and screaming and coming to get me in the middle of the night and me taking my kids to places they don't need to be. You know, the things that I trade off because of what the life I'm living and that I've got to have because that loss of power of choice. And so what happened was... Um, I did make that call, and, I, you know, that planted a seed. And then my mom said, 
you know, we love you, but you can't stay here. We'll watch the kids. And so I went. And, I, and, what, and if I knew about solutions, I'd be doing solutions. You know, I went to my friends and I drank because that's all I know. That's the only thing I can get through the day that way. And she got word to me to come home. And as long as I went to an AA meeting. Now, I don't know where she heard about it. I didn't question it. So I did something that some of you may know about, but some may not. I looked it up in a phone book, if you know what a phone book is. And, and, it was, and I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous, and I went to a meeting that night. And that's where I heard people describing how I was feeling inside, and I had never met them. And it blew me away. That's why identification is so important. Got to talk about that so people know they're in the right place, and there's a way out. There is a way out. You don't have to die. You know, and you've got to do some stuff for sure, but you don't have to die. And so I went to that meeting and I didn't pick up a chip or anything, but I was marveling at just you beautiful people looking at each other and laughing and telling me to come back and, you know, and giving me your number and all that stuff. You know, just I was marveled at it. And so when I left, you know, alcoholism is always running its mouth to me and it's not like done much now because my recovery's bigger, but. Man, I leave there, and all of a sudden it's going, that's just there. They're not, they're not really, they're just fakeos. You know, all that running its mouth, running its mouth, because it doesn't want what's best for me, that's for sure. And so I went to another one, and I saw the same thing again, hope. I saw hope, and it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And so on April 12th, April 11th, 1988, I woke up and, and I don't know, I've been begging God, I've always believed in God, I will have to say, I've always had a God in my life, but I didn't think I deserved it, so I had pushed him over here. I didn't connect, you know, I knew I believed in God in my head. I knew he existed, never discounted that, but I didn't think I deserved it, so I wasn't living a godly life, you know, and so, but I called on him when it was favor time or something like that, but just to get, you know, but I was begging at that point, you know, I am dying, I need help. And so I made that call, and I knew there was a solution and all those things that led up to it. And um, something was different when I woke up that morning. And Bill Wilson talks about in Language of the Heart, it's called the greatest gift we get here is a spiritual awakening. And it says we must awake or we die. And it's true. And that was an awakening for me. I read that some years into sobriety because I love all our literature. And it, it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what happened to me. And it goes on and talks about the guy that uh, did, he got his life back and he was doing AA and all that. But then when he got it back, well, he decided he didn't need AA anymore, forgetting where he got the gifts. And he relapsed. And so the thing is, yes, I must awake or I die. But then I got to do some things. I got to put legs on my prayers. I got to take some actions. But so what happened for me is I went into my job and I said, I'm dying. I don't care if I lose my job, but I got to take a leave of absence. Now that was my surrender. And, and, I had call, and I called the treatment center and I said, do you have a bed? And they said, yes. And I called my parents and they were crying. Of course, we're living there. They'll watch the kids. Like that really wasn't something new, but they're watching the kids. And my brother that was uh, 17, that wouldn't eat in the kitchen, drove me out to treatment that night. And I, I think he, more importantly, he wanted to get me out of the house, but he got to keep my car. And so <laughs> he got to use my car. So I think, you know, they were asking him all these questions. Like, he's 17. He's like, I don't want to talk about her at all. You know, <laughs> I just want some peace. Because you never knew it was going to happen when the phone rang. You know, they're then, you know, middle of the night or where is she now or what's happened now. And, and so they get, you know, and the fear that's created and the love that's stolen you know, from our loved ones. You know, I never knew the magnitude, you know, until, thank God, I went to the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and a lot was filled in by having conversations with my parents. 
which I was grateful to hear, you know, I want to know. And, um, and so I, I went in that night and, you know, he threw 10 bucks in my hand and ran. And uh, so I went, um, that, I, I was, in, they matched us with people and a girl named Kim to be kind of like the, my connector, buddy, whatever. And, um, but that night I can remember laying in bed saying, you know, God, if this is it, please let this be it. Please let this be it. Please let this be it. And uh, it was it. April 12, 1988 is my sobriety date the next morning. And I tell you, I, I just fell in love with you guys. I am that person that you hit the ground running. Some people are like, I hated y'all. I'm like, shit, I was so daggone glad to get out of that hell I was living in. Woo! So I hit the ground running. I was just like, show me, tell me, yes, okay. It became the most spiritual word I could say. You know, you like, do this, okay, yep, 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 yep. And uh, so I did the 28 days. Now, really, I, physically, I needed to do it. I mean, I needed to gain weight and learn how to eat because I used to think if I ate a piece of cheese or something that I was giving myself to nutrition. Now, my kids were okay, thank God, but, but um, smoking and drinking was about the extent of my diet. So I spent 28 days there, and I physically really got sober, and, and, and it was one out of 50. They said one out of 10 of y'all will make it, and I was looking around at them going, well... I'm making it, so I don't know about y'all, because I was just like, so, no, I know I am. This is a chance. I'm doing it, man. And, uh, and they used to take us to this big re- meeting called Sunday Morning Serenities, be like 400 people. And uh, Steve, I don't know if you ever came up and spoke there, but I bet you did. And uh, I just marveled watching everybody being okay in their own skin and just laughing and loving and you could feel the beauty and I'm just like man I want to feel like you look and I said what have I got to do and y'all said get a sponsor and I did get a home group and I did and get a job in in that home group and I did and I made myself a part of the week and uh, and that is you know and that's the deal and that set me off and and um, I did you know when I first got sober man I felt like new oxygen had been put into my body and I called people I didn't need to call and tell them how I was sober, like they could care less, I'm sure, you know, but I did. I'm like, man, you need to know, and I haven't talked to them in a year, you know, and they're like, the last thing they remember is me being passed out in a party that they want me to leave, you know, and it's so, it's, it's crazy, but, you know, and also, how, it's pretty exciting, I mean, when I think about it, because I hear it now with new people, like, I want to cure cancer, and, you know, I'm going to be a treatment center counselor, and, you know, and, and I think that's so great to have enthusiasm to want to live, because I was dying, dying. This thing kills. It wasn't even about stopping drinking. It was, I was dying. And I just wanted to be a good mom. And my kids were eight, seven, and five. And so it set me off on a journey. I did get a sponsor. I got a home group. I learned about making myself a part of the weeb. They gave me a key to the church. My mama wouldn't even give me a key to her house. And they gave me a key. And I know how that makes you feel. And I, when I've been able to do that in my own sobriety to someone, I know the value of that because I was had been doing distrustful things and you're saying here and I'm so humbled by that I was like oh my gosh you know and I set the and I made the coffee and I set it up learned about the meeting before the meeting the meeting after the meeting I learned about sitting in on Sarah's drinking coffee I didn't like because I don't even like coffee but I did it anyway because I wanted to be a part of the deal you know eventually I realized I don't have to drink the coffee to be a part of the deal and uh and I didn't went back to just drinking my tea that I like to drink and uh but I just wanted to be a part of you so much because I wanted what you had and I just it set me off now I got rid of the guys and no guy wouldn't even go out on a date for the first two or three years I was sober. But the first three years, I think I'd say, if you want more in friendship, don't talk to me. You know, I just wanted to raise my kids and, and just really had an opportunity to live. And I, and I tell you the gravity of it. And, and I just saw people living a life that I wanted. And they said, you can have it too. 
And so, let's see, I want to make sure. Okay, I'm good. Um, so, I love to talk about this at my recovery because I have really had a good ride in sobriety. Um, when I got sober, um, I wanted to get my own apartment. You know, I've been living with my parents, and I was fortunate. My parent, when the kids would come see me at treatment, they'd look at me with new eyes. And when I came home, I started, I, they, they ended the job, which was actually a godsend. And so I'd put the kids on the bus, and, and then I'd go to a uh, meeting every day, and I'd get three women's phone numbers, and I'd make myself call them and say, hey, I'm just calling and say, hey. You know, and I tell people that now, and they say, what do you say? I said, just say I'm calling and say, hey. I said, don't know what to say back. You know, and it's just these little things. And I can remember I hated myself so much, so I took a journal. And any nice thing anybody said to me, I wrote on a piece in this journal. And, and on a day when I was feeling like off, which can be any given day. Heck, it can happen today. I can read that and go, okay, wait a minute. That's my head. That's my alcoholism telling me this. And, you know, and I got involved in my home group. And then I started hearing stuff about district was doing stuff. And they're going to have a picnic and they're doing this. And, I mean, I would go. You know, I would just go. I, I, like I said, I, I'm a, like get in the middle girl and this became an asset and I would go. I wanted to get an apartment. My sponsor said, well, you need to get a job first. And I said, yeah, that, that's true, I do. So I went around over explaining to people why they needed to hire me and then I got a little guidance. I learned about not reporting into your sponsor but actually talking about it with them before you do it. And um, ended up uh, getting a job where people believe in giving second chances. I can remember sitting in the parking lot that morning before my second interview, and the, and the meditation that day was about, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll work out, and if not, God's got something else planned for you. And that's been a pearl in my sobriety, because sometimes it's just practice. Sometimes it's just practice. I don't know where he wants me, but I just need to take the actions. And that was so early in sobriety that something that I truly believe in my heart and to continue to use, just walk through the door. See what happens. God says, come here. I say, okay. That's the way I look at my life, you know. And, and he said, come here a lot. And I've said, okay, a lot. And then I've done it, you know, and I've been, never been displeased, you know, always grateful. And so they did hire me because I was honest about my resume, which was a little holy. And, uh, and I had, had no credit because I threw my bills in the trash. And um, I, yeah, I did. I didn't pay. Oh, say, we're, we're talking some huge loose ends. And they were in the form of bills as well. And uh, so that's why I love the steps. Because, you know, I, you know, I was able to tie, I believe four through nine ties up those loose ends for me. I, I became face-to-face with myself in a way I never dreamed. You know, I, I, pretend, I, I used to pretend some other girl did the stuff I was doing. You know, it was time for me to get honest about me and my wrongs. And where was I to blame? And gosh, that's freeing. You know, I'd be able to share stuff with a person I'd never had in my life. And matter of fact, some of it I didn't even remember until I really got sober and worked the step, you know, went through that inventory and shared it, was able to see the patterns of relationships, my motives in relationships, how I was thinking, why I was doing these things, and asking God to help me. And to be able to sit in front of people and make amends or pay bills, which take a while, but it felt good to get to pay that stuff. It's empowering, you know, and the value of it is just sometimes we don't see it right away, but it will show up. You know, the value of it is I stand straighter. The value of it is I'm owning who I am. I'm not lying about who I am anymore. You know, I'm God's kid, just helping God's kid. That's all I want to be anyway. You know, I want to be an authentic Christie, not the version I think I'm supposed to be. You know, because it's not even comfortable anymore. What's comfortable is just me and me, you know, and being okay with that and throwing the yardsticks away and not having to measure up to anybody. Not what you think or you think, but what he thinks. You know, and that's good enough. You know, and sometimes my prayer is, God, let what I do today be enough. 
you know, and that, and that because I think that is a big struggle for a lot of folks, not just us, you know, but I think it's a bigger one because everything we do is magnified. But um, anyway, so I was fortunate too. In my first year of sobriety, I went through the steps. And I learned about living in today with 10, 11, and 12, and I'm, I'm not going through them each uh, you know, separately, but I'm telling you the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous have given me the opportunity to right wrongs to, or mistakes on a daily basis and continue to grow in effectiveness and understanding, to learn to have a, a relationship with my creator in a way I never dreamed. I've got rituals in my life. I remember hearing Ken Devaney say years ago the word rituals and the word spiritual. And I love that, you know, because the 11th step is so beautiful about, I won't even get out of the bed until I connect in. Once or twice I have, and I'm like, oh, crap, and I'll run back and lay back down and do it, you know, because I'm such a ritualistic person. I don't want to lose this thing. Even at 35 years sober, I'm still very intentional about my sobriety because I've watched people with a lot of time leave or drink. I'm just not willing to gamble with it. I'm just not willing to do that. And so in in the 12th step, my gosh, what a beautiful step. I mean, I took, y'all said take it home. And I have children that are in their 40s now that are living principles that we have. Said take it home. Carrying the message everywhere. You know, I fell into a corrections at nine months sober going into the jail. So my girlfriend said, hey, you want to go to the prison? I said, sure. Fell in love with it. Two weeks later, she stops going. I was like, I'm not. So I kept going, and I've done that my entire sobriety. That's my favorite service work. I just love going behind the walls. I've had amazing experiences. I was sitting, gosh, with Melissa. We were sitting in Panera recently, and she came, and, a, and somebody, a lady came over to me. She said, hey, do you remember me? I was like, and I was looking at her. She said, thank you for coming to the Chesterfield County Jail. I've got a year sober now. And I was just like, oh, my God, what a beautiful postcard. You know, I mean, that's, what that, I mean, that's just like, oh, my, that's the deal. You know, we don't know who we're, whose lives we're touching. I used to have a negative ripple effect on people's lives. Now I have a positive one. You know, but I've just fell in love with every aspect. Fell in love with the general service structure. I've been active in their area for many years, and I feel blessed. And like I said, it's just my turn to do the stuff I'm doing there. You know, I get to, you know, I get to do it. But I do want to say, when I, so when I got that first job, then I got my apartment. And I think these early sobriety stories are important because they're early sobriety people here, but also I will share them in the jail so that they know they can have it too. Because I think people all need to know they can have it too. You know, I'm nobody special. I'm just some girl that got sober that fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous and wants to live and share the deal because I'm responsible for that. That's my responsibility. We have a pledge that says that. And so my first, I went around once again over explaining to people why they needed to rent to me. You know, and then I went, wait a minute, I'm not doing it right. So I talked to my sponsor, and my sponsor's like, hey, just tell him he needs somebody to give me a second chance. So I found an apartment, and I went in, and I just said, look, I'm trying to start my life over. I need somebody to give me a second chance. And she said, I've been there. I'll do it. And somebody had just left an apartment, and I got to pick out, not this special or anything, the carpet. and all. Okay, that was cool that I got to do that. But the coolest thing about the whole thing is, is that I, would, I can remember walking through that apartment, pinching myself, going, wow, this is my place. You know? And I didn't have to get a cosigner. And that meant a lot to me. And um, those are the special things that we get to experience in early sobriety and pass on. Because I'd, I'd share that in the jails when I'd go see the ladies and we'd have the meetings. And one of them, when we were, Dennis and I moved to Carolina in 2003 to 2005. 
And I know I'm jumping around, but it all, it all ties up. So hopefully, you know, and I know I talk fast too. But um, so I went to say goodbye to these ladies in this facility because we were moving. And one of them said, hey, so-and-so wanted you to know that she got her own place. Another postcard. Thank you, God, for using me. Share the stories. Give them the hope. You know, I think that's what's so important is that we share how our lives are rebuilt. You know, I rebuilt my life in jobs. I, you know, the children and I had that apartment, you know, with my parents. I was able to make amends. I was able to be the best daughter I could be and have continued to. My dad died suddenly almost 10 years ago. And when I mentioned the amends, you know, when I, he, he, I mean, he was alive Tuesday and died Thursday. And I was standing by his bed, and I'm like, you know, that where we think there's this old idea about how we're supposed to, like, I've got to say something profound while he's laying there. Yeah, I don't even know if he can hear me or not, but I've got to do that. And, it, and I was like, wait a minute. I just looked up. I said, I don't have to say anything. He knew. I lived it with him. He doesn't. He knows. He knew he was special. He would tell people, see that girl? That's my daughter. I can always count on her. That's the person that I've become in Alcoholics Anonymous. My mom, she, I feel like her sponsor sometimes. It's so, so funny. She's close to me. She talks about me she, to me. She relies on me. And that's all right. And my kids, you know, I'm very close to all of them. We've got grandchildren. Husband and I got married. I did marry the guy God wanted me to marry in uh, 2001. <laughs> and he's got three. He had three and I had three. We married almost 23 years. Six kids and eight grandchildren and three dogs. And we might get another one. I and mean, we were just quantity people. But anyway... I, you know, I do want to share, you know, that early, those early sobriety stories because they're so very important. I can remember another time leaving the meeting that in that first home group in the first six months or so, and I'm driving home from the meeting because we stood outside about 10, 30, 11 talking, which, gosh, those powerful conversations. I mean, those were like, I still think about it. Oh, just those deep, had never done that before, you know, and just the power of those. But I'm driving home, I'm going, oh my God, what am I going to tell my parents? What am I going to tell them? What am I going to tell them? And I'm driving up the hill to their house and I went, the truth, tell them the truth. You were standing in the parking lot talking to some people, you know, and, that, and my parents are like, it's good, you know, because they had seen me transforming, but I didn't think overnight. They're just supposed to think, well, you're so, because that's not how this deal works, you know. It's, it's about action. It's not about what I'm saying. It's about what I'm doing, and it really is. This is a doing deal no matter what. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for takers. It's for givers, and all I want to be is one of God's kids helping God's kids. Through the years... Um, you know, I've had a lot of God stories, and, um, and the way my life has unfolded, I told you that I really loved helping others, even before, you know, when I was like in my early teens, being in the camp counselor for underprivileged kids, and all, you know, I just love the underdog, I just love helping, and um, of course, that went over here, and I really believe when we get sober, God connects us with what he really needs us to do, and I don't really know what that is, but I'm grateful that he connected me back with what I love to do, and that's helping others I, I fell into a career. I have a felony on my record, by the way. At 14 months sober, I did go to court, and the judge uh, was so pleased with how I re rebuilt my life, and the prosecution told him they didn't want me to serve any time because they saw a girl that had really put her life together. And, you know, it's funny. I think back, and I said, wow, he knew he'd use me more because I was already going behind the walls helping others. 
you know, and it's just in the plan, but I was willing to do whatever, but I always like to tie that loose end up because I might have forgotten to share that. But so it's a girl with, you know, I drank my way out of college, I got a felony in my record, and that's something I'm able to share. It's like, you know what, if it's meant to be, it's going to work. And in 1995, I fell into a nonprofit career helping you know, ex-offenders, and I've helped the homeless. I work with the uh, folks in poverty now, and, and that's just like suiting up, showing up, doing the deal, being willing to help and um, helping others, and I feel grateful for that, that I get to do that. I did have a rite of passage recently. Um, I'm on Social Security, and I started Medicare January 1st, and that's something, and I live to do that. And because uh, I've actually been sober um, over half my life, which is, I hit me the other day and went, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. But anyway, um, so what's my life like today? It's full. It's not busy. It's full. I've learned that in service. It's full. My life is full. You know, I get to do so much. And, um, and, and I know God gives me the time and energy because, I mean, it's just when I think about even from like, thir- like I kept my grandkids, we kept the grandkids Thursday night and Friday night, went to football earlier today, came to see y'all, we'll drive back tomorrow morning at 530, have to get up to go set up my home group's um, anniversary meeting, that'll be over at 1030, then my family's coming over tomorrow at 2 in the afternoon for my mother's birthday. Isn't that awesome that I get to do all that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's great. But I sponsor a lot of ladies. I'm so grateful that I get to walk that path with them. I'm so grateful. We do book studies monthly. We celebrate sobriety. My home group is the same way. We're very close. We're a three-legacy group. Um, I'm really grateful for the third. I say 42 spiritual principles because our warranties are included in the concepts. I've been graced with great sponsorship that's introduced me to the traditions of the concepts in a way that I never knew. Plus, I'm very active in service, and I've gotten to use them and learn them. And uh, they're just beautiful. So I feel really blessed. We have all these tools that we can live our life, and we can share them with others. You know, that's the thing. We share them. Sponsorship has been really important to me. My home group's important to me. My family's important to me. I'm a believer that, you know, you, you get out of it what you, and, and I'm going to live till I'm 100. I'm going to be on the jelly jar that, you know, they talk about on Willard Scott that started years ago. But I'm going to be 100, you know. But the deal is I get to live, and I know why I have the gift that I have today. I know why. And as long as I remember that and do the things that have given me the gift and nurture the gift and help God's kids, I'm not going to lose the gift. You know, and I get to be all these things, and, and it's just an amazing life. And I believe make today extraordinary because you are. Thank you.